Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. There's a whole bunch to talk about, so I'm just going to jump right in. There's some updates on the PlayStation Classic console and ways to hack it. Someone had found a way to plug a USB stick into the console and then just edit the SQL database file in order to include the ROMs on that USB stick. Uh, I believe using this, theoretically, you could just load all the ROMs on there. You would just have to manually edit the file or create some kind of SQL script to add it. Uh, I talked to one person who did it, and he said it took about a half hour, so that's not too bad. Uh, Maybe we'll get one full hackable set or something that we could just download onto a USB stick and then have it automatically overwrite the SQL database file. But either way, it seems at least kind of neat and something to continue to pay attention to an otherwise useless console. Also, a few people had found that if you plug a very specific type of rare USB keyboard, you can get into the menus and change around some of the settings. Um, at the time that I wrote this article, or that Ray, Ray wrote this article and I was researching it, it seemed like only one person had successfully done it, to the point where at first I, I honestly thought it could have been uh, just a fake or some kind of you know viral marketing thing or something, but... I guess other people have uh, have been able to access this menu, add scan lines and things like that. But overall, it's kind of hard to say that both of these things combined would make this a viable solution for you know a fun hacked console with a bunch of ROMs on it. And as always, the same thing I complain about with most consoles is I know a ton of people that loved their PlayStation, had a bunch of games, and they would love to just buy something that works. Um, You know, granted, if you have a newer console that you could buy one of the PlayStation Classic downloads to it, you know, that's a great solution for most people. But a lot of people that don't already have those consoles, you know, what are they left with? So uh, maybe we could do some more hacking to this and make it something at least worth looking at. But the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people need more options in order to play these older games on newer consoles. And while there's always great ways to do that if you don't mind spending a lot of money and get awesome setups, it's rare to get an affordable solution that allows you to do it. So, uh, you know, unfortunately that always ends up in hacking, in ROMs. The, the fact of buying a Raspberry Pi and loading a bunch of PlayStation ROMs and having a better experience... Uh, so hopefully these companies will start to take notice to this and maybe we'll finally start to get some better classic consoles. It looks like someone was able to find a backlit LCD screen that fits in a Neo Geo Pocket color. There's not too much detailed information about this, but it seems to be pretty much the same aspect ratio, just a slightly smaller backlit color screen. Um, The person will be willing to do installs for about $250, and if you would like to buy a pre-modded unit, it could be up to $400, um, you know, which seems a little bit expensive to me. But to be honest, when I tried out the, the NGP, I went through a bunch of the games in the library. I tested using the Retro HQ ROM cart, which I loved. 
and it seemed like a great console. It's just the the no light versions are equally as hard to see as all of the handhelds that don't have any lights. And I really just didn't like the front light version. Um, I was able to get uh, to get mine modded a second time to have a brightness adjustment built in, which helped a lot because if you just leave it on the bright settings most of the time, all you see is glare. But it just wasn't a great experience. It almost reminded me of, uh, you know, like the I forgot what the um, the the name of the Game Boy Advance front light kits were before, obviously before the SP AGS 101 came out, but. It didn't look good, so while this is very expensive, if you love the Neo Geo Pocket Color, maybe this is the only way you'll be able to experience it in handheld form and actually be able to enjoy the games on a backlit screen. Um, if anybody ends up getting one, please contact me. I would love to borrow it. I don't know how I could compensate you for that, but I'll, I'll try. Uh, and I'll be doing another Neo Geo Pocket episode at some point in the next six months, I guess. But, uh, you know, I'd love to revisit this with a backlit screen and see if it's worth playing. But either way, uh, if nothing else, if anybody gets one of these, let me know and let me know what you think. I'm sure by now everybody has heard of Soldier Boy is releasing a retro game console that is quite literally just a rebrand of something you could already find on AliExpress. Um, I really hope that nobody falls for this and it uh you know it makes me sad that somebody would resort to such a cheap cash grab i mean he's talented with a ton of followers and could make a difference doing many different things and still make a shitload of money on top so to resort to a cheap rebranding like this seems pretty pretty skimming the bottom of the barrel i'm trying to find a nice way to say it it makes him sound like a scumbag <laughs> like a, i guess there's no other way to say it there's so many ways for that guy to 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 bring stuff to people that much in the way that um quentin tarantino brought the tony jaw movies over before most people in the states had heard of tony jaw and, you know he stuck his name on it and made a little bit of money but at the end of the day we all get to experience a ridiculous martial artist in fact i might have to put this awesome tony jaw compilation video i watch in the comments or uh, down below just for the hell of it but uh, honestly there are so many things that somebody with that much power and money could do to, than rebranding something like this so i'd liked a lot of his songs but i definitely lost respect for him after this my buddy chris from belgium just added a section to the different consoles and systems part of the website that talks about the magnavox odyssey 2 and the video pack which are consoles that uh, were released, the same console released under different names around the world. And he kind of went through and uh, went over each kind and described what the differences are. So uh, it's pretty awesome, and I'm really happy and grateful that more people are contributing. And eventually everything on the, the consoles and mods side will be moved over to that open source wiki. Um, so... You know, if anybody else still wants to contribute, uh, please consider just uh, emailing me and figuring something out because anything that you add to retro RGB that's of archival use will eventually end up in something that's open source and hopefully will live forever. So, um, you know, don't think of it as helping me out. You know, you could hate my guts, still want to contribute and do good for the rest of the people. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool that we get to see more of these and thanks very much to Chris for taking the time to do it. A demo ROM of the Sega Genesis arcade port of Shinobi is now available to download. Trifon's 
conversion is still a work in progress and I don't think it has any music or anything like that, but it's still trying to bring the arcade version of Shinobi to the Genesis. So I obviously love projects like this. I also love the color conversions and all that stuff and things like this for me is why I truly appreciate ROM carts, even for games in which I have the originals of. So anybody interested, uh, take a look at the link. Just keep in mind it is still a work in progress. So this is one of those things where you get to see the development still in the mid stages of it. Some updates to the Mr. FPGA platform this week. It looks like there's a new open source scaler that's being implemented into these cores with the focus being on reducing lag as low as possible. Another benefit is that it uses a free software instead of the existing one that was $5,000 a year for the suite. So this is going to be complete open source, uses free tools to compile, and so far it has a focus on significantly reducing lag, which is awesome because I do know a lot of people that want to use the Mr. platform either through streaming or flat screens, basically HDMI output. And at the moment, it seems like you could use the analog output through an OSSC, and it's pretty much crisp and as perfect a video signal as you could imagine. But the HDMI side still has a bit of lag. So uh, I'm interested in testing how much lag this adds, but it was suggested that I just wait for a little while longer until uh, some more of the tweaks are worked out. So I'll just sit off on that and probably do some more tests next week. Also, there's a bunch of updates listed um, for SNES, NES, uh, the Amiga platform, Game Boy, Genesis, and ColecoVision. So uh, a ton of good things that have been added. And also, it looks like the beginnings of a Game Boy Advance FPGA core have been started. Um, I believe a group of students from Carnegie Mellon University has begun doing the F uh, FPGA implementation, and it's starting to be ported to Mr. by Electron Ash. So I think at the moment it only loads a homebrew game and the BIOS, but that's still, uh, you know, that's still a pretty impressive achievement in itself. Uh, with all the stuff going on with Game Boy Advance lately, it's cool to see it get some more love. Uh, I still think, you know, I know people hate on me for saying this, but I love Metroid Zero Mission. And while I did find it a little bit too easy, I still prefer it over the original NES version. So I'm really happy that I get more ways to play that game on different platforms now. So uh, as always, thanks to everybody involved in the Mr. Platform and all of the FPGA work that's been going on. I really think this is going to be the future of how most people play these games on either a TV or even a CRT monitor because, uh, you know, there's only a finite number of consoles. And yes, there's millions, but how long are they all going to last versus cores that could just be ported to all future platforms? So thank you very much to everybody working on this stuff, uh, and I can't wait to jump back in and start doing some more testing. Analog has just announced a new cash grab, <coughs> I'm sorry, I mean collaboration with the record label Ghostly in having a white version of the Super NT that offers a new boot-up menu with sequences composed by six different Ghostly artists. So I'm obviously very critical of the company Analog, and I always try to make sure that I, I'm very clear in my separation between Kevtris and Analog. I'm a massive Kevtris fan. I completely fanboy out every time I get to talk to them. Uh, but the company that takes and, and sells his designs are who I am always critical of. And when I see stuff like this, I'm just like, you know, there probably wasn't that much time to create something like this. And I'm sure it's a great marketing opportunity. The, the company does brilliant marketing. But 
why don't we have a re-release of the NT Mini? Or more importantly, if if the focus of the NT Mini was NES, why don't you have a plastic spin-off version of that for you know the same two hundred bucks or something? You know why 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 are we seeing things that no one asked for and not seeing the things that everybody asked for? Where's their analog adapter? You know where's the RGB out that we've been promised for a year? So. Uh, I just, please correct me in the comments. I'm very often wrong with things like this. Sometimes it just takes a few uh, commenters to change my perspective and, and for me to go, oh, yeah, you know, by doing this, probably got them to that. You know, uh, you, you shouldn't, you know, walk a mile in a man's shoes before making judgment. But I see shit like this, and I'm just like, what the hell, man? <laughs> Where is all the stuff that their fans and loyal customers have been begging for, and in place we get something nobody asked for? I don't know. Comment away down below. I can't wait to hear other people's opinions on this. But uh, I already own two of these things. I got one for me and one for cousin Scott. I freaking love them. Absolutely love it. But uh, yeah, I just I don't get it. The PSIO optical drive emulator for the PlayStation One is now available from purchase from Stone Age Gamer. At the time of shooting this, it looks like it's still in stock with them. And I, at least in my opinion, think this is a really good move and a, a good step in the right direction. The, um, the company Sibden Systems, uh, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, uh, you know, they gained kind of a reputation last year with, um, you know, long response to e times to emails. And then, you know, a lot of us went 15, 16 months from the time of purchase to the time of receiving. So, uh, in my opinion, having something in stock from a reputable reseller that does this for a living is a very quick way to gain people's trust back you know you want it great buy it from a store it's already in stock i think that would erase people's fears pretty quickly um, especially coming from a store that focuses on selling things like this um, uh, they commented last week on the uh the roundup i'm not sure if the regular watchers or if somebody just uh said that they got a mention about their fpga firmware updates i will get them info on uh from the expert that told me how to do it i'll send that over but that's one of those things, the firmware updates at this point is still my only real complaint because I don't like anything that's digitally signed per device. I do think it's a bad idea for everybody involved because it just creates more, more work for everyone across the board. But, but I completely understand why they would have implemented it at the be uh, to begin with, for, you know, security reasons, no cloning, things like that. But um, I'll try to get that over to them because there's still reports coming in of other issues. The one that stuck with me that, uh, you know, that I always think back to is after I spoke about that on last week's podcast, a few people contacted me saying they were part of the original pre-order group. Um, and they never got their account on their website. So when they went to get the newest firmware... Uh, they couldn't because they didn't have an account. So then now they have to wait through the, you know, the long email response time. So, you know, I, hopefully they're working through all of these issues. It's a small team of people. So, you know, we got to give them that, you know, they're not, it's not like Amazon that has a team of people waiting by the phone to take your call and answer emails. Um, I just, I would love to see progress and all this stuff. And I have one here. Uh, I still haven't even installed. Uh, I owned one a while back. I had to sell it when I sold everything else, but I have my new one here. I got to get to it soon. And the one thing that people had said is anybody that had problems with the newest firmware might have skipped one. So you might have to go back, get two firmwares ago, and then the newer one. I believe there might even be one, an, a newer update coming out that might solve that issue. So, you know, they're getting there. They're getting their steps in the right direction, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to 
to check it out and see if it's worth doing a video on. A ton of people have already done video reviews, so maybe I'll just go through and mention anything, you know, anything worth talking about. But either way, I know a lot of people that have been waiting for this thing. So now just check the link in the description, go straight to Stone Age Gamer and buy it right in stock. It looks like the Dreamcast cable from Retro Gaming Cables is getting closer to release. I believe they had problems with board dimensions fitting around their new transparent shell, but I believe they got that all worked out, so it should be able to go together and should be released relatively soon. And I'm really excited about this because, uh, in my opinion, for a long time, the only really good solution for the Dreamcast was the Toro. And the only real problem with the Toro is that not everybody needed all of those features. You know, I loved the scanline options and dual output was great so you can get from the VGA port and the SCART port at the same time. It really is, you know, it was worth the money if you wanted all those extra features. But I know a lot of people with a setup with the G-SCART, um, a Sony PVM, and an OSSC. In fact, I know a ton of people with that setup. And just being able to have a, a switchable SCART version that could work right as, it, uh, as I just described, I think is excellent. Just plug it in, you know, for, if you're using your PVM, flip it to 480i mode. If you're going through your OSSC, you could use both and even use 960p doubling for any, um, any TVs or capture cards that support that. I think it's awesome. Uh, I also think that I've been testing the cable from the Foo, which is great as well. Uh, he had a SCART adapter. I don't know if it's back up for sale or not. I was able to get one, but that's a VGA solution that's uh, similar in that it's going to switch. So if anybody that needs a D-sub connector that can handle all the different resolutions, that's a good solution. I'm sure between uh, you know now and never, we're eventually going to get the HD RetroVision solution. Um, which, you know, that will fix a whole other range of things. Um, and that, you know, that would be one that I would think would be good for analog and digital, should your flat screen monitor support it. And then, of course, the Dreamcast HDMI internal mod. So there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out for the Dreamcast. Uh, expect a new video, teaser, teaser, uh, coming up soon that highlights a lot of this stuff. I'm getting pretty excited, uh, and it's really renewing my interest in the Dreamcast. Um, which is weird. I know you, you're supposed to just like the games, but when you could really experience the games the way they're meant to be played at the highest quality, it just it adds a lot to me, uh, a lot more to the experience for me. So I'll keep everybody updated. Keep your eyes open for that, you know, the part two Dreamcast on flat screen TVs video that I've been promising for over a year now. And uh, yeah, and, and as soon as I get one of these in from Retro Gaming Cables, I'm definitely going to put it through its paces. Another update from Professor Abrasive on his plug-and-play Saturn optical drive emulator. It looks like he's building the test rig, and once that's complete, he'll be able to finish the beta boards and send them out to Patreon subscribers that have subscribed to the beta testing level. Um, I, I think it's finally starting to get to the point where the, he might be able to ship out of, um, you know, more expanded beta units after that, so I'm hoping to get one within the next three months or so. But this is a project I've been following for a long time, and uh, you know I did the interview with them a while back, and I'm really excited to finally try it. I have my Sega Saturn Model 1 with the shielded cable and everything all ready to go, just prepped and waiting for this thing. So um, any more updates, I'll definitely keep people in the loop, and hopefully he'll open up the beta program to the rest of his Patreons after the first wave goes through. A new kit was just created that adapts those cheap SNES USB controllers to the Amiga CD32. 
It adds features like button remapping, auto fire, and memory. And I think this is awesome because um, while I don't really know much about the Amiga, I do know that when you have those more rare consoles, you know, controllers and any kind of decent accessories are really hard to find. And the Amiga controller did look a little weird. Uh, I've never used one. Maybe it's super comfortable. I don't. I honestly don't know. But I just think being able to take something that's a cheap, off-the-shelf, disposable device. You know, it's those SNES USB controllers you can get for eight or nine dollars each, and they're pretty decent quality. But I have no problem hacking one of those up as, as opposed to an original SNES controller. Being able to just grab that and adapt it for the console is great. Um, I wish there were more solutions like this for other consoles, like the CDI, so uh, you know, so you could play that one game with Hulk Hogan that's good or something. But uh, you know, I, I, I just all of the consoles that have really rare controllers or really uncomfortable controllers could certainly benefit for something like this. So uh, thanks to Mick Giver who created the kit, and uh, links for everything are below. So every time there's a new classic console announced, 8BitDo announces their wireless controller adapter for it. And uh, they have not let us down, and now they have one for a PlayStation Classic. Um, it's $20, and it should arrive on uh, in late December, December 31st, they're claiming as the release date. And no word on if it supports rumble functions and DualShock, but I'd kind of be interested to see what else this could be used for, because it's essentially just a USB adapter. So maybe this could also be used for computers that don't have Bluetooth built in or have... I've had uh, laptops with kind of spotty Bluetooth built in, so it wasn't really reliable for a controller. Um, so who knows? Maybe this will work out. I think once this was released, though, the, the one thing I heard being echoed across the board was... You know, nobody asked for this, but everybody asked for the N64 wireless solution. When are you going to do that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a good question. Um, I wonder when they are going to do that. So hopefully they'll have a wireless dongle for the N64 as well, because I think using a PlayStation controller with the N64, while, you know, some people might look at that as blasphemous, maybe it'd be a good way to, uh, to transition from that oddly shaped N64 controller to something more people are comfortable with and used to. Mobius StripTech has received the IFU boards for the SSDS3 RGB bypass. Um, he's tested them and everything came out perfect, so now he's offering them for sale. He's selling them for $7 for just the board, which I, I think is insanely low, uh, so thank you to him. $20 for the board plus installation, and of course you have to pay for shipping. Uh, once again, I think that's insanely low, and uh, 35 total if you want the installation of the Firebrand X audio board, although I believe he's not selling the board, you got to get that from Firebrand X and then ship it to him. So overall, uh, I mean, those prices are really low, and he, he really is standing by his word on, uh, you know, trying to help the community and, and anybody that really loves the, uh, the PC engine and wants the best quality out of a device, you know, he's really helping do all that so you know thanks once again to voltar for designing the board and offering up the design for free uh do-it-yourselfers uh, can find the design and the schematics and just make your own thank you to mobius for doing all of this work on it, testing as well as offering these installation services to fix a product that should have never shipped like this anyway and same thing with firebrand x thank you very much for your audio board and uh, the low price that you're charging for it as well to fix the remaining audio issues that shouldn't have been there as well. So we all know how I feel about this device. Uh, I'm finally going to get my hands on one with these fixes and put it through its paces. 
Um, I think I know what to expect, but who knows, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Extremis has just updated the Game Boy interface software to support the HD retrovision cables in 360p mode using PAL GameCubes. So a quick rundown, because that's a whole bunch of acronyms and stuff that people might, might not understand. Uh, NTSC GameCubes only output composite video and S-video, and anything higher than that you need one of the new adapters. Um, PAL GameCubes do output RGB, so the HD retrovision cables are compatible with them. So you can get technically uh, 240p and 1080i component video output from a PAL GameCube. When using something like an action replay, so of course you'd have to get the PAL action replay, and an SD loader, you could use the Game Boy interface software through a PAL GameCube using RGB or component video, and it works excellent. I mean, it's a great high quality image, and uh, the new features, including the 360p output, are, are things that sometimes uh, have compatibility issues. Now, I'm way oversimplifying this, of course, but um, the latest update to the Game Boy interface software allows for compatibility with this. And what I'd like to see as well at some point in the future is uh, all of us to work together to get both, you know, to get all of the perspective outputs. So, you know, uh, RGB or HD retrovision from a PAL GameCube, and then of course RGB and component from some of the plug and play solutions through the OSSC as well. So that means custom OSSC timings for the different Game Boy interface modes. So I'll, uh, I'll talk to a few people and work on that. Uh, I am not even close to an expert going through OSSC settings, nor have I ever pretended to be. So I'll talk to some people and see if we can get custom profiles for that. Um, and uh, just because, I, I mean, I really love this software. I talk about it all the time. And uh, I think for people at the moment looking to game on Game Boy or Game Boy Advance games on RGB monitors, um, this is really an awesome solution. So I'll keep everybody posted and I'll do some more testing when I can. The Behar brothers have just announced a new version of their Garo product which is the component video to either VGA or RGB SCART. And this has a completely redesigned video buffer and a new sync circuit, as well as a new power stage. So essentially, it's completely redone from the ground up. It also uses surface mount components for a more cleaner look, which, in my opinion, that, you know, I wouldn't judge based on that. But it's always nicer to have, you know, one, you know, one, more, one more step forward. And overall, there were a few problems in certain setups with the original version of the Garo. I didn't really see them in my setup, but I know a few people that did. So it's, uh, it's my opinion that if you, if you own a Garo and you don't have any problems with your setup, don't, this is definitely isn't something that you would need to look into. But if you were on the fence about buying one, or if the version you had did have issues, maybe it's time to pick one up. Uh, and, you know, sell, sell your old one on eBay. Just be honest. Original version of Garo from the Behar Brothers. Don't, you know, no, nobody disingenuous put pictures of the actual thing on there. I think a lot of people would still like to pick up the older versions at a discount just uh, just because it'll probably work fine in many situations. So uh, I'll eventually get one in to test it out. Uh, but overall, I mean, it seems like it seems like there's a few specific cases where this would really fit a need. Um, I think the one case that many people have used, which I showed off in one of my videos a while back and a few of my friends have, is they have a G-Comp switch with a bunch of component video devices. Then they use good quality cables going into this and then stick this into the uh, final port of a G-SCART switch. So essentially there's one solution that has all of their outputs that going into a monitor. 
Um, the reasons for this would be both because now you have an automatic switch that you don't have to worry about anything at all, or also if you have monitors that don't accept component video. So uh, XM29s, uh, Mitsubishi Megaviews don't accept component through their RGB ports. So uh, this would be a solution for that as well. So looking forward to trying it out. I'm glad to see new stuff from the Behar brothers, and I'll keep everybody updated if I get one in. HD Retrovision have announced that they have their new shipment of cables in, but will still keep their own store closed for the time being, so they could focus on research and development and hopefully get those Dreamcast cables out. But they should be available probably by the time this goes live from Castlemania Games or Retro Stuff in Canada, as well as in-store in Brooklyn Video Games if you're around the New York City area. So, uh, love that store. They're really hardcore support in the uh, RGB component retro gaming scene around here. So, um, anybody that's interested, now the cables are back in stock and available. And, I mean, I, I love them. I have a full RGB setup, uh, but I still... It's gotten to the point that when I go to do any kind of testing, I grab the HD Retrovisions just because they're like my Swiss Army knife of cable now. So uh, anybody that's wanted one, check it out. And yes, I do realize this is the same picture from the October update, but I just, I love that one so much I wanted to use it again. Whatever. <laughs> John Romero has announced a Sigil expansion pack for the 1993 original Doom video game. Um, this Megawad expansion is the spiritual successor to the fourth episode and picks up where the original left off. Uh, it said, or John said it would be free for people that own the original game, so I'm not sure how you would verify a licensed original copy of a 1993 video game. Uh, if somebody, if they explained it and I just didn't, didn't understand, please let me know and I'll update the post and um, correct it next week, but... Either way, if you want to purchase it, uh, you could get two different collector's editions featuring artwork by Christopher Lovell, who's done covers for pretty awesome metal bands like Byzantine, who I opened for once. Uh, pat myself on the back there. Very, very rare I get to brag about stuff like that. Uh, and exclusive music by Buckethead, who any guitar nerd knows he's, you know, is one of the top people out there. So that's pretty exciting. Um, there's two versions, the standard edition for $40, and then a $166 Beast Box that will be available from Limited Run Games. Um, no word if they're going to be a Best Buy exclusive or just through the store. And they should be available in February. So details uh, on what's included in these different limited editions are available both on the Limited Run Games site as well as right on the Romero game site. There's way too many to list out, and I didn't want to just copy and paste in the post, so if you're interested, definitely check it out there. And also, uh, along with this announcement, came one of the most badass trailers I have ever seen in a long time. Uh, I highly recommend if you're a fan of Doom to check it out. It's just, uh, it, just the trailer and the music in this reminded me how much I loved that game. I just, uh, I'm very excited that now I get to play it in many better ways. Because the, the low frame rate of my crappy-ass computer as a kid used to make me dizzy. I think I played Wolfenstein and Doom at like four frames a second or something. I used to love playing it, but every ten minutes I'd have to take a break and I'd end up being seasick and have to like have a glass of water and sit down and then go back and keep playing it again. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it seems pretty cool and it's something I definitely want to check out when it's released. Sega has just announced remakes of the first two Panzer Dragoon games. And according to Forever Entertainment, 
The new version of the games will be characterized by completely new graphics, comparable with today's standards, and several modifications of the game, making it more attractive to modern players, while remaining faithful to the original in terms of story. So I hope that ends up being like Wonder Boy and not like DuckTales, because those are always my two go-tos on, you know, if you want to look at the, great, the greatest way you could take an old game and redo it for modern standards, I loved how they did Wonder Boy, A Dragon's Trap. I thought that was really great. Um, and I will always play that one over the original. Whereas DuckTales, uh, I, didn't, I, just, I didn't get more than 20 minutes into it. It just made me want to go back and play the original on the NES again. Um, either way, both of these games are looking to release before the end of 2019. So I guess it'll be about a year, and we'll uh, be able to see if this thing holds up to the hype. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. A new Genesis game called Rhythmland is due to be released in February 2019, featuring music from the same creator of Streets of Rage, Revenge of Shinobi, and ActRaiser soundtracks. It's going to be available as a cartridge for about $55, and you could pre-order it now from Amazon in Japan. I've seen this game also talked about as an 8-bit Famicom version, so I believe they're probably releasing them side-by-side, side, this being the Genesis version and also separately a Famicom version. And I think that one's available on PlayAsia as well, but most of the info I've found about this game is in Japanese, and I can never really rely on Google Translate to get it right. So uh, anyone interested, check it out, and if there's some details that we missed, please let me know down in the comments. Super G has posted some updates to the status of his different Switch projects. Uh, first, for the latest GSCART Switch, Sync on Green has been tested and all resolutions up to 1080i are supported and seem to be working fine um, through the OSSC, through, you know, through pretty much everything he's thrown at it. Um, he just needs to make a small modification to the small batch of Switches that have already arrived in order for this to be fully compatible with everybody. And he's still debating what to do about the sync correction features. Uh, I think he's going to give it one more try this weekend, and if not, he might just wait till the next revision. It's my personal opinion that, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't need that feature. So as long as there's a revision difference on the board itself, something very clear so that you could see, you know, which revision is compatible with which features. Um, as long as that's the case, I, I see no problem in shipping those. You know, I guess it'd be kind of a pain to contact everybody and see who knew, who needs the feature and who doesn't. But um, for me personally, I'd rather just wait and get the feature. Uh, but I know a lot of other people just don't care because it doesn't apply to them. Um, you know, this really this feature is really for people with the BKM 68X card or any of the DH series monitors like the 9-inch I have here or the 14-inch or for a couple of other use case scenarios that uh, you know may or may not fix it. So. In my opinion, as long as it's not too much trouble for Super G, ship out what you got, continue to test, and then uh, you know make that other larger batch and have the sync correction built into that one. Just make sure to mark them so uh, people who need to buy them used in the future will be able to tell. Also, uh, the design of the 8x2G comp switch is underway. So the 8-in and 2 dual outputting uh, component video switch. And this is great, because I know a lot of people whose component video consoles are starting to grow, especially with people who pre uh, predominantly game through GameCube and PS2 and Xbox, but also want to use the HD RetroVision cables. Now, this would be the perfect solution. You know, one out to your, either one out to your RGB monitor and one out to your OSSC into your capture card or however else you want to do it. But 
Um, I think that's going to be six months away, I would guess. Uh, so, you know, definitely don't get your hopes up quite yet. But it's underway. It's definitely going to happen. And I would guess that we should have it in hands by the end of the 2019, but probably sooner. So, in my opinion, all positive news. And I can't wait to start testing the sync regeneration thing whenever he has it finished. No rush, in my opinion. Someone has just created a mod for the DE10 Nano, the same FPGA device used in the Mr. platforms, and been able to make a cheat device like a Game Genie for the Atari 2600. I'm actually pretty surprised that something like this doesn't already exist. Um, I believe you could patch ROMs, but I just assumed a hardware solution already was in the works, or was already available, but I guess not. Either way, it's neat. I, I enjoy projects like this, and um, anybody interested... Uh, maybe now's the time to buy one of those DE10 Nanos and use it for a multitude of different things. After watching Ray Kamen's review video last week of the Arcade 1-Up, I kind of lost hope on it. I, you know, I was thinking maybe it would be a good enough toy or maybe you could mod it for something fun, but it just seemed overall like it wasn't worth my time. But there's been some pretty interesting uh, things that have happened in the past day or so alone. First, it seems like you're able to solder in a USB jack and access all of the main menus, as well as add games and even access games that were already there but hidden. Um, it's really just as easy as taking a USB extension cable um, and then uh, cutting, the, you know, cutting one end off and soldering it right to the points that uh, Reddit user Barry Barry Sneaky have found. And then you can get right in and just add games directly to that. On top of it, the Tempest version, it's actually the Asteroids version, but I like Tempest more, so whatever. <laughs> the Tempest version just went on sale for 200 at Walmart. So if you take all of this stuff into consideration, you know, you have a spinner controller on this thing. Um, the spinner controller seems to be all the way to the right, leaving a lot of space on the rest of it. You might be able to take this and hack it so you can get every spinner game on there, and maybe even driving games. Use the spinner controller as the wheel and stuff like that. So just for the 200 bucks, you might be able to load this thing up. And not only would it just be a toy, just having things like a rollerball or a spinner would add to the experience. You know, it's still not something a serious gamer would use, but I just, the first time I played Marble Madness with a rollerball, you know, the original arcade version, was only a few years ago. And it blew me away at how much different and how much better a game it was just by being able to use the rollerball. So there's certainly exceptions for, for laggy, low-end emulation. And I'm not saying all emulation's laggy and low-end. I'm saying stuff like this that's laggy and low-end on a cheap device. It might still just be worth fun to play with. You know, for me personally, I'm still ordering parts and getting everything finalized on this mini CRT arcade thing over here, uh, which is using a Raspberry Pi and a Rollerball and all that stuff. But, you know, that's a lot of work, and this doesn't look like a lot of work. This looks like some very basic beginner level soldering with just some very standard MAME skills to be able to load up more ROMs. So I'm certainly going to consider it for 200. You know, I do understand that it's not going to look so good. It's probably, you know, at least a few frames of lag and, you know, who knows, but 200 is about a price where I think, you know, if you could load up all the games that I would want to play with a rollerball, maybe it is worth it if you have the space for it. So let me know what you think. If anybody in the New York area has one of these things, let me know. Maybe we'll meet up and uh, figure this thing out and see what we could uh, what we could add to it and if it's really worth working on. But 
it's definitely making me uh, reconsider this, and who knows, maybe they'll sell really badly and Walmart will dump them off even cheaper. Um, either way, uh, you know, if you're interested, check it out and see what you think. And speaking of silly toys, there's now a Game Boy Color iPhone case for $35. So I saw one of these last year with a monochrome screen, and you it's just a cell phone case that you slap to the back of your phone. Um, there's a ton of different compatible phones with it. And you just use it as a Game Boy. I believe it's powered off the phone, too. And it just looks like a fun and neat toy. And to be honest, this is one of those things that, you know, depending on which phone I had and, you know, how big it was, I might buy just for a fun, silly thing to talk about. You know, just leaving it on the table somewhere and, and just seeing the looks on people's faces like, is that a Game Boy? That might make me giggle. But either way, it's not a serious gaming device. It, you know, it has some of those hacked ROMs like Mario's Brothers or, you know, Happy, which is just hacked versions of the original NES games. So, um, you know, anybody that wants one, there's a coupon code. And uh, I found this on Redmond Pie, so... You know, I always try to pay attention, and very often my sources for things are many different places. I'll hear about it from one thing and then go do some research, and I'll post the original link. This is one of those times where I wanted to make sure that I left the link to Redmond Pie so people wouldn't think I was just posting this to make it, you know, 10 cents off of a coupon code. It's Redmond Pie's coupon code. I, uh, I just talking about it because there are many of us in the retro gaming scene that love silly toys like this. Even though they're not great gaming devices, it's still kind of hilarious. So if you get one, let me know if it's worth buying or if it just ends up being a fun gag gift. And lastly, an arcade game from the Sega System C2 platform has just been ported over to the Sega Genesis. Dustin O'Dell has converted Sega Sonic Brothers to the Genesis and posted a video of it playing pretty much perfectly. Once the game is complete, he said he's going to release the ROM freely and encourages others to translate or hack it. I think it's pretty cool that there's more arcade conversions going on, whether it's just the color conversions or full system or conversions like this. Because as I always say, it's pretty easy to track down all of the games that you want to play on a console, whether you need ROM carts, CDRs, or whatever. But it's impossible to get every arcade game. So the more arcade games that you have that are able to be played on easier platforms like this, or the more arcade multis that people come out with and all that, are always a, a huge help to everybody in the arcade or gaming scene that want to keep these games alive. So uh, thanks to Dustin for doing this. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Coin Retro just uploaded an overview video of how to use the Datapath Vision capture cards, which so many of us in the retro gaming scene have been using for its OSSC compatibility, as well as even direct in from older consoles. Um, I think it's a great video to start with because there's so many things that you could talk about. Um, I'll eventually get into this. I just need to get a handle myself on some of the quirks and shortcomings. But um, basically, he uh, took the work that Dark Aries had done, both in his wiki and in the new app that he had built to use it, the VCS app, I believe, and just did an overview of that. And a, a quick rundown of everything is, if you're using 480p and up for the Datapath card, and you just want to do screenshots, it's really easy. You actually could just use the Vision app, and uh, you just have to always set the color to 888 and set the other setting to slow. And that's pretty much it. You know, you could size the window any way you want, but when you do the screen capture, you could save a bitmap or a PNG, and it's great for comparison shots. Um, for streaming, there's a few different ways you could do it. And, of course, for video capture for comparison shots, always make sure you use software designed to capture it in the exact original format. 
you know, you could run into issues if you're capturing with OBS and not Amarec because OBS will just use whatever codec it wants and you could use something like Amarec to tell it exactly how to save it. So for, for you know, ED, uh, you know, um, extended definition, 480p, whatever you want to call it, 480p and up, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but once you start getting down into direct RGB in and 240p resolutions, things start to get a little crazy. Um, you even get the bug that Steve from HD Retrovision found is when you set all the settings in and you hit OK, it doesn't save the settings, at least on certain versions of the, the firmware, which led a lot of us to think that maybe it doesn't process 240p correctly, but it does. You just have to use these weird tricks, uh, which Coin Retro does show in the video. And I'm still trying to determine exactly what it requires for RGB input. So if you have a converter that's DVI to uh, component video, which I think I have right here, I have links in, this, in the description to this exact adapter. It is the uh, DVI to component video. All you would need is some RCA couplers or something. I think I just use these basic ones. Um, and that way you could put in component video right into this. That should work. So if you're using something like the HD Retrovision cables or a PlayStation 2, you should be able to hook it right up, um, follow Coin Retro's video in dark area settings and everything should be fine. But I've had mixed issues with RGB directly in. I distinctly remember being able to just use some adapter cables I made because I have a ton of these things I've made over the years that's uh, you know VGA to SCART or something like that for this exact reason. I definitely remember being able to use those on the Datapath card, but when I went back to test again, I had issues. So maybe you need TTL voltage, maybe you need sync strippers, maybe you need something. Maybe I was going through like an Extron device or something. I've done so much testing over the years, I really don't remember, but... You know, there's still a lot that really needs to be nailed down on, on proper procedure for the Datapath cards. I know Voltar was working on a new board. I have his uh, prototype board here for the input stuff, which ignore the wire. It's me doing some experimenting. But overall, uh, you know, I still think that as long as the documentation is good, as long as we have more videos like Quinn Retros, um, this could still be the perfect card for just direct capture. And I'm, as I've been starting to learn with some of the uh, quirks of the OSSC, um, it might even be best for me to do some of my uh, comparison tests direct into the Datapath card with something like this, and then use Photoshop or, um, or Premiere or something else to scale it up, rather than going through the OSSC just to test the, the differences and weirdness with some of the mods that I'm doing. So, you know, sorry for ranting on a little too long about this. It's just... Uh, you know, back when Cruz first told me about the Datapath cards two years ago now, I've been using them, and I've, I've either had awesome experiences or run into a bunch of trouble that were essentially all my fault because I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know the weird thing like hit cancel instead of OK or all that stuff. So uh, I, I think because of the cost of these things and even the older ones that are analog only, uh, this could be a great choice for a lot of people, and I just want to continue the documentation. So thanks to Coin Retro. Thank you very, very much to Dark Aries uh, and for your wiki. And uh, I'll continue to use this thing and see if I could get the best tweaked out of it and maybe add some a page or do a video of my own on it. Wow, that was a lot of cool stuff this week. And that's all thanks to the new people contributing articles to Retro RGB. 
I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to everybody who's been doing the writing. Um, you know, I, I really love when I open my phone and I see an article pop up and I don't even realize it's on retro RGB. I'm just reading through like, oh, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just, uh, it's absolutely awesome. I hope to continue to grow this. Uh, and I'll soon be adding like an about us section that, that uh, explains who we are. And I'll try to do more to uh, support the people that are writing these articles because I really just want this thing to turn into something that just runs itself because um, there's so much great information out there and no one human or even two or three could get to all of it. So just having more people that are experts in their field or just people that are always you know, fans of certain forums might even be great. Um, one that I always miss is Sega 16, and although I do check out Atari Age, I, th I think I don't know a lot of the stuff that they're talking about, so I might skip over some awesome Atari XT thing that uh, I didn't realize was awesome. So anybody that's, uh, you know, that's a forum lurker and you know, has their favorite forum, maybe reach out, and uh, you could be in charge of stuff that happens on that forum and post news articles, but Either way, I think, you know, also the more people you get involved, the less work it is for everybody else. So you don't have to have one person writing 50 articles a week. You could just, uh, you know, if you see something cool, you put it up there. If you get to it first, great. Somebody else did it, you know, did it already, whatever. But either way, it's just exciting to see this thing grow. And, uh, you know, it's always a question for me of I've never introduced myself as Retro RGB. It's always Bob from Retro RGB. So it's going to be interesting to see how everything goes forward with uh, all these amazing people contributing now. But I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. For now, just a massive thank you to everybody who supports the site, the podcast, and the channel. And an extra special uh, thank you to all of the Patreon supporters who make this happen. And I'll see everybody next week.